Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about Ho Chu Bing, or why nepotism isn't all bad. A number of things have made me want to do an episode on Ho Chu Bing for some time now. There was the whole Nepo Babies discourse, particularly pertaining to Hollywood, about how so many of the actors and filmmakers are children of actors and filmmakers and other prominent individuals. There's been an ongoing discussion on the uses and misuses of Sun Tzu's Art of War on the Twitter account of one former U.S. Army China watcher whom I follow. And there was the recent summit that Xi Jinping hosted in Xi'an for the leaders of the Central Asian republics, where they really went in hard for Tang Dynasty aesthetics. Ho Chi Bing was from the Han Dynasty, not the Tang. But you'll see why the recent, rather kitschy display nonetheless made me think of him as you'll see why discussions on Sun Tzu and nepotism also reminded me of him. We've talked about his era before, the reign of Emperor Wu Di, or the Martial Emperor of the Han Dynasty. So we're talking about the second half of the second century BC. Indeed, we've talked about Wu Di's wars, the adventures he launched into Central Asia, the protracted campaigns he fought against the Xiongnu, later identified by some with the Huns, which left us with a cast of characters from that time period, generals whose names remain household names among the Chinese. Ho Chi Bing was one of those names. And we've talked about his family before. His younger half-brother, Huo Guang, who went on to become the leading statesman at court after Emperor Wu Di's passing so powerful that at one point he was able to replace an emperor with another. But just for the sake of clarity, let's tell the story again from the beginning so that we're all clear on where Ho Chi Bing came from. Ho Chi Bing was born out of wedlock. During this period in the Han Dynasty, however, Chinese society was quite liberal with respect to matters of marriage and sexual relationships. It didn't matter much to a young man's prospects whether his parents were married. His father was a man named Huo Zhongru, and he worked as a low-level official, perhaps essentially a policeman, in Pingyang County. He had an affair with a servant girl named Wei Shar in the household of the Marquis of Pingyang and the Princess of Pingyang, who was the older sister of Emperor Wu Di. And they had a son in 140 BC, whom they named Ho Chi Bing. The name suggests that as a child, Ho Chi Bing wasn't very healthy, because Chu Bing literally means to be rid of illness, suggesting that his parents chose the name as good omen, and this will become relevant later. And so far, Ho Chi Bing's origin 
didn't promise him any particular good prospects in life. Worse, after Ho Chi Bing was born, his dad decided that he didn't want to continue in this relationship and to be a father to Ho Chi Bing. So he left mother and son to return to his home county, where he later married another woman and had another son, the aforementioned Ho Guang. Meanwhile, Ho Chi Bing's aunt, his mother Wei Shaar's younger sister, Wei Zifu, also worked on the estate of the Marquis and Princess of Pingyang as a singer. In 139 BC, Emperor Wu Di came to Pingyang to visit his older sister, the princess. Prior to the visit, the princess actually went around the county collecting as many beautiful young women as she could find in the hopes of pleasing her brother, the emperor. As it transpired, Emperor Wu Di didn't care for any of the girls she gathered. Only the singer, Wei Zifu, caught his eye. So, Wei Zifu went with Emperor Wu Di into the palace to become one of his consorts. And her younger brother, Wei Qing, managed to tag along. Afterward, with the emperor favoring Wei Zifu, the Wei family became a force to be reckoned with in Chinese politics. Wei Zifu eventually became empress, and her brother, Wei Qing, became a top general. We should perhaps remind everyone at this juncture that at this point in Chinese history, the imperial civil service exam had yet to be invented. There was no systematic method for selecting individuals for various government posts. The empire mostly relied on either nepotism or the recommendations of existing officials to choose people for its bureaucracy. So, Emperor Wu Di's decision to make his new brother-in-law Wei Qing a general wouldn't have seemed quite as embarrassing to folks at the time as it would to us. And Emperor Wu Di sorely needed men of military talent at this time, due to the wars against the nomadic Xiongnu. And Wei Qing turned out to be a great general. So, the nepotism worked. Closely associated with Wei Qing, and equally nepotistic, was the case of Huo Bing. In fact, so closely associated were Wei Qing and Huo Bing with each other, that in both Shi Ji, the historical records of Sima Qian, and the Han Shu, the book of the Han dynasty, the intertwined lives of Wei Qing and Huo Bing are told under a single chapter. As the nephew of both Empress Wei Zifu and General Wei Qing, Huo Bing was brought into the palace at a young age. Emperor Wu Di took a liking to the boy, so that Huo Bing grew up in luxury and enjoyed every opportunity. At 16, he became a member of Emperor Wu Di's personal guard. At 17, in 123 BC, Huo Bing joined his uncle Wei Qing on his first campaign 
then immediately followed by his second. At that tender age, Ho Chi Bing was given the rank of Jiao Wei, roughly the modern equivalent of a colonel. And he led a brilliant cavalry movement of only 800 horsemen into enemy territory, killing over 2,000 Xiongnu in the process, including a grandfather of the Chan Yu or Khan of the Xiongnu, and taking the Chan Yu's uncle prisoner. At the end of the campaign, Emperor Wu Di deemed Ho Chi Bing as having achieved the most notable success of any officer in the army, and granted him a lordship. Again, the nepotism seemed to have worked for Emperor Wu Di. Two years later, in 121 BC, Emperor Wu Di named the 19-year-old Ho Chi Bing General of the Cavalry, and sent him again against the Xiongnu. During this campaign, Ho Chi Bing led 10,000 cavalrymen in a breathtakingly rapid movement over 1,000 li into enemy territory, going over the Yanzhi Mountains and traversing five nations of the so-called Western lands in a space of six days. It wouldn't be too much exaggeration to call his tactics Iron Age Blitzkrieg or Lightning War, the rapid attacks with tank columns that Nazi Germany employed during World War II, against which France and Britain found difficult to defend. He returned to China, having won a great victory, only to go out again later in the same year. This time, another general, Gongsun Ao, led another army that was supposed to march out in parallel to support Ho Chi Bing and his cavalry. But the two armies lost contact with one another. Even so, as was his habit, Ho Chi Bing made the bold choice to continue with the assault, even without support. The gamble paid off. He annihilated the main body of the Xiongnu army at the Qilian Mountains and took as captives the Khan of the Xiongnu, as well as dozens of princes. The Xiongnu at this time lamented their fate in a song that was translated into Chinese as saying, Take the Qilian mountains from us, and our cattle have nowhere to graze. Take the Yanzhi mountains from us, and our women have no rouge. This last sentiment because the Yanzhi mountains were where rouge at this time was produced, so much so that Yanzhi remains a word in Chinese for rouge. After Ho Chi Bing's victories in 121 BC, the Han Dynasty gained full control of the so-called Hexi Corridor, i.e. the corridor west of the river, meaning the thin stretch of land west of the Yellow River that threaded between the deserts of Mongolia and the mountains of the Tibetan Plateau. Critically, the Hexi Corridor connected the Chinese heartland to the Silk Road. 
So Ho Chi Bing's victories at this time made Silk Road trade possible. The trade that ultimately delivered Chinese silk into Roman hands on the other end of Eurasia. On his way back from this campaign, Ho Chi Bing picked up his younger half brother Ho Guang, and we already talked about the great role he would go on to play in Han politics later. In 119 BC, Emperor Wu Di sent a hundred thousand troops into Mongolia and beyond, into Siberia, which were at this time also Shongnu lands. He divided the forces between uncle and nephew, fifty thousand each for Wei Qing and Ho Chi Bing. The plan was for Ho Chi Bing's half of the forces to face the Khan of the Shongnu. But in the event, given the unpredictable nature of warfare generally, and certainly given the command and control limitations of the time, it was Wei Qing who encountered the Khan directly. Ho Chi Bing instead fought the Shongnu prince, who was supposed to protect his leader's flank, and Ho Chi Bing annihilated this force before pressing even farther north. Capturing more high-value prisoners, and reaching what is now Lake Baikal in Russian Siberia, before turning back. After that, the Shongnu moved even farther away from borders of China, removing the threat against the Han for years to come. But then suddenly, in 117 BC, when Ho Chi Bing was only 23 years old, he died. Neither the historical records nor the Book of the Han Dynasty say how he died. His brother Ho Guang later wrote in an official document that Ho Chi Bing died of an illness, but didn't say what illness. It is possible. That he contracted some kind of epidemic while on campaign, or, although I seem to be the only one who suspects this, given his name Chu Bing, to be rid of illness, perhaps he had some congenital condition that had bothered him since infancy. Or, some have speculated, maybe he was murdered. Maybe. Even Emperor Wu Di himself had Ho Chi Bing killed. Ho Chi Bing was recorded as having done at least one thing that upset a lot of people. During the campaign of 119 BC, another famous general, Li Guang, got lost in the desert and, as a result, failed in his mission. Wei Qing was about to punish him when Li Guang decided. To commit suicide, rather than to face the indignity. Li Guang's son, Li Gan, was also in the army and at this time served under Ho Chi Bing. Li Gan was very upset about what happened with his father, so he went to Wei Qing to protest. The confrontation got physical, and Li Gan injured the senior general. Wei Qing at this time chose not to pursue the matter, 
considering that Li Gan had just lost his father. But Ho Chi Bing could not stand the idea of one of his subordinates attacking and injuring his uncle, Wei Qing. Sometime later, both Ho Chi Bing and Li Gan accompanied Emperor Wu Di on a hunt. And on the hunt, Ho Chi Bing aimed his arrow at Li Gan and killed him, murdered him. To sweep the matter under the carpet, Emperor Wu Di announced Li Gan's cause of death as having been struck by a stag. Emperor Wu Di apparently loved Ho Chi Bing very much, so it made sense that he would protect him by sweeping the matter under the carpet like this. But some argue maybe the blatant murder was still too much, and maybe Emperor Wu Di then had Ho Chi Bing killed as well. Another possibility was that after his tremendous successes, Ho Chi Bing came to outshine his uncle, Wei Qing. The historical records specifically tells us that Wei Qing's star began to wane right as Ho Chi Bing's star rose to unprecedented heights. And many officers who formerly followed Wei Qing went to work for his nephew instead. The contest between uncle and nephew might have given someone cause for murder. Maybe not Wei Qing personally, but maybe one of the men under him. Ho Chi Bing was also far from a soldier's soldier, not the sort of leader who took great care of the troops under his command. Of course he wasn't. He was a child of nepotism, a young man who had grown up in the utmost luxury and always had his way in the world. The historical records tells us that at one point Emperor Wu Di sent a dozen or so chariots carrying food to Ho Chi Bing at the front. When Ho Chi Bing returned with his army, they found that even though some of his soldiers had starved for insufficient supplies, Ho Chi Bing had thrown away some of the food and the chariots that brought it. So it is possible to imagine that some of the soldiers serving under him might have been aggrieved. Aggrieved enough to kill him? Of course, that's impossible to know. And the truth is, we'll never know for sure how Ho Chi Bing died. But okay, so Ho Chi Bing was not the sort of general that inspired men to follow him by showing how much he cared about them and how he would undertake any hardship they would. Although he did display total commitment to the cause of the Han Empire. At one point, Emperor Wu Di had a mansion constructed to give to him as a gift. Upon being shown the house, however, Ho Chi Bing said to the emperor, As long as the Xiongnu remain a threat, I have no use for a home. This statement became an oft-repeated mantra of Han Chinese nationalists for the next 2,000 years. 
during the Song Dynasty, when they fought various northern invaders, including the Mongols, during the Ming, when they fought the Manchus, and during the Qing, when they wanted to get rid of the Manchus. More to the point, soldiers followed Ho Chi Bing because he was a military genius. He had an instinctive understanding of warfare, unparalleled by any other figure from the time. And that brings me to the subject of Sun Tzu and the art of war. Of course, Sun Tzu is even today one of the great authorities on warfare. And he already was in China, even in the second century BC. But the historical records tells us that at one point, Emperor Wu Di told Ho Chi Bing that he really ought to study the classical text on war, namely Sun Tzu's Art of War and a comparable text by the number two military theoretician Wu Zi. So that shows that at this point Ho Chi Bing had not studied these books. And Ho Chi Bing remarkably dismissed the emperor's recommendation, replying, I don't study the old ways of war. This outright rejection of tradition was remarkable. But if you consider certain passages in Sun Tzu and also Ho Chi Bing's military career, you can see why. In one passage in The Art of War, Sun Tzu urged against departing too far from one's urban base to pursue an enemy. If you travel so much as 30 li, Sun Tzu wrote, only two-thirds of your army will make it. Sun Tzu further urged, you cannot traverse a territory without first knowing its terrain. You cannot obtain the benefit of geography without local guides. But Ho Chi Bing achieved his greatest successes by doing the exact opposite of what Sun Tzu recommended here, by driving hard and fast into enemy territory, traveling not 30 but 1,000 li at a time, not always in possession of perfect intelligence of what was out there. Like I said, the blitzkrieg of the Iron Age. So was Sun Tzu just wrong about everything then? Should we still bother to read him? Well, no, I don't think he was wrong. I think the issue is that Sun Tzu lived in an earlier time and was observing and writing about the sort of warfare between Chinese states during the spring and autumn period. When the Han Dynasty faced the Xiongnu, however, they were facing a very different enemy and a different paradigm of warfare. The Xiongnu were a nomadic people. They had no cities to speak of. They were constantly on the move. What Ho Chi Bing saw was that the Xiongnu way of war was not at all what Sun Tzu observed, and so the correct response to it could not be found in the old books. And as a military genius, he intuited that the answer was to outmaneuver the highly maneuverable Xiongnu, to move even faster than they did. Results proved that he was right. Which is not to say that Sun Tzu was wrong, 
I like to think that had Sun Tzu lived during the Han Dynasty and saw the cavalry warfare of the Shongnu, he would have strongly endorsed Ho Chi Bing's tactics. Had Sun Tzu lived in the 20th century, he would surely have written about tank warfare and the uses of air and naval power and even nuclear deterrence. The important point is, in warfare, as in so many other things, there is no glory in being bound by tradition for its own sake, or in following the methods taught in the textbooks just because they were in textbooks. There is only glory in doing whatever works. We should appreciate how singular Ho Chi Bing was as a military mind. It wasn't just that other Han dynasty generals who were his contemporaries were never quite able to reconceive warfare the way he did. We may also compare Han China's wars against the Shunu with the Roman Empire's wars against Persia or Parthia. Roman legions, all but invincible in Europe, discovered to their shock when they encountered the Parthians that they had no good answer against Parthian mounted archery. In 53 BC, at the Battle of Carai, the Parthians decisively crushed Crassus and his seven legions. In the centuries that followed, the Romans never came up with a convincing way to respond to Persian tactics. The Romans, in other words, had no Hochubi. On that bombshell, this has been MODG. Thank you for listening.